I hate that, man. Ugh. I'm at Take peace. A lot I'm at peace with it. You can't kill me. <laughs> the actuary tables say all it live you, Nick Saban, and I love you to death, but I'm just going to stick it out and wait until you die. Welcome to Chapel Bell Curve, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And today, this episode is sponsored by GoMed, everyone's favorite on-demand, in-home medical services provider. So, it is time. It is the game of the year. Everyone outside of the SEC probably hates it, but I don't care. It is time for the UGA versus Alabama preview podcast, and we are going to bring you... It's finally here. We're finally here, and we have spent a long time prepping. We just finished a Reddit AMA, uh, and so we spent a long time thinking about this and prepping, and I spent probably since last january thinking about this moment and oh yeah i'm oh, ready yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm ready my body is ready i had two glasses of five dollar cabernet no yeah no cabernet <laughs> from target and i'm just from so tar- <laughs> i'm so loose target's house to, wine this, this, target's is gonna, house this is the whitest statement i've ever made about target's house wine pretty good anyway so that's an emboldening review of target's house wine hey dude at five dollars pretty good that's high that's high praise yeah, that's um, not bad. All right. All right. So let's start with subjective narratives. And before, I think we have something non-UGA Alabama related that we want to talk about first. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we have something else we want to talk about today that is not related to uh, the UGA Alabama game. And I want to introduce this in a way that I sort of picked up from Podcast Ain't Played Nobody. But I'm just going to read the beginning of an article. <clears throat> <clears throat> this was six hours ago. Dateline, Atlanta, November 28th, by T- by Ken Segura from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. After one ACC championship later vacated, three conference coach of the year awards, 82 wins and 59 losses, 72 300-yard rushing games, a stream of graduated team members and no shortage of deft play calls, sideline outburst and unvarnished opinions, Georgia Tech coach Paul Johnson is stepping down. Ba-ba-na-ba. Oh my God, that's Kirby Spark music. And he comes in and he just drop kicks Paul Johnson's stupid head. Ah, it's shaped Straight like to retirement. It's shaped like a potato having sex with a turkey. Enjoy your Medicaid, old man. Yeah, I mean Medicaid is a good thing, but yes, it is. enjoy it. Enjoy it. You definitely don't need it, <laughs> but definitely enjoy it still. Um, yeah, so Paul Johnson retired, and we Steve Spurrier him, boys. We just we beat we beat the hell out of him so hard that he just quit. He's headed out to pasture to hang out with his old friend, Steve. I'm not particularly, I mean, first off, very excited for the Paul Johnson uh, sideline reporter gig. That's not going to happen. And for the Paul Johnson <laughs> Dos Equis commercial, also not going to uh-huh, happen. But uh-huh. God, I wish it would. Um, Paul Johnson color commentator would be the dravest, most monochromatic color commentator you've ever f- seen. I don't know. Why, do you have any response to this? It just made me really happy. I mean, I had a few people text me earlier today and said that, that since we were just talking about this, we must have willed this into existence. I, I mean, he said actually in the interview right after he retired, he said that he would think about coaching again. He just wanted to spend some time with his family. I think what he That's really fine. means is he doesn't want to be really, really doesn't want to be at Georgia Tech anymore. I think no. that he's been frustrated with their commitment to football and also, frankly, and I mean, I can't really blame him, frustrated by who he has to play every year. He has to play Clemson and Georgia Tech every year. Yeah, it kind of sucks. There's two losses for you right there, unless something crazy happens. Yeah. Like, unless your athletic department just totally 
uh, upends itself and changes everything, which is not going to happen anytime soon over at Georgia Tech, unfortunately. Uh, did you have a quote? I saw that you had a, a really nice quote here from Kirby. Yeah, so bef- actually before this happened, Kirby said before the game last year, or before the game last week, Kirby said, and this is a direct quote, if you don't want to play against it, beat them every year, and eventually you won't have to. Boom. Boom. Roasted. Roasted. Mic dropped. Roasted, roasted, roasted. Straight to hell with him. Yep. Uh, Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Yeah, so let's um, let's get into our subjective narratives for UGA versus Alabama. So this is this is also something we did last year. I feel like right before the game, the the national championship game, we we like sat down and we like we got super hyped. And you and I have been on this hangouts call for like an hour and a half now, so we're already pretty pretty freaking hyped. We yeah, watched the hype I'm, video. I'm, in, I'm in rare form right now. Oh yeah, it's so I, I want to you know bring people along this journey with us for just a moment and just just say a few things that are, are kind of like trigger points for UGA and Bama, um, the series that, that, that has become what it is. And so we'll, we'll just ask a few questions real quick. Um, so so the very first one, 2012, 2012, the SEC championship game. Where were you, Nathan? Uh, that was actually the first, uh, the first time I hung out with um, Ryan and Heather Clark. Really? Yeah, I went to their house when they had another house over on the side of town. And we watched it together, and Ryan got out the booze because it looked like we were going to win, and then we didn't, and I was very sad. And I cried mm-hmm. in front of people who were basically strangers at that point. Like, I knew them, <laughs> but not that well. Um, yeah, where were you? I was at a bar that was formerly known as Mad Hatter. And we had gone, we had, we had done this thing in downtown Good Athens. Taste. Where Good taste. Every, <laughs> no, every quarter we went to a different bar, and so we would follow it along. And then the fourth quarter came around, and like, my friends and I were, were all separate in the room. Like some of us were upstairs watching the TV and, and nobody was really talking. Like the whole bar was silent in that fourth quarter. Yeah. And that last drive with Aaron Murray, holy cow. Like if there was ever a time, that's when I fell in love with football truly. And it's also simultaneously when it broke my heart. Like that was my first year of really enjoying football. 2011 was my first year of like attending and watching football. And 2012 was where I really got into it. And that was the game where I fell in love and it broke my heart. And so... Um, I remember exactly like after we lost and everything finished, we all looked at each other like, wait, is there, is that it? Is there nothing else we could do? And then we promptly went home <laughs> and mm. ended the night there, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that was not the first time football broke my heart, but it was a crazy moment. And I was so used to us losing at that point that I was like, okay, well, yeah. I can't feel yeah. that was when, you know, the scene in, um, game of thrones when they flash back and it's one of the first men and the children of the forest and they stab him and you see his eyes it focuses on his eyes and the pupils go really wide and then they turn white and then then you're like oh no the first men are the white walkers that was when my football fandom moved towards i'm like an untouchable killing machine and i can't be hurt anymore you can't hurt (laughs) you can't hurt the dead this is it yeah my Uh, my soul died that night and now i'm just basically an unstoppable talking machine 2015 yeah. nathan 2015 2015 Bama comes to uga where were you i was at the game as a U, I, that was my first year on the band staff and i stood in the rain through the whole thing and that was when i really that was like the first time i found a night ranger over the wall and killed him you know what i mean <laughs> the game of thrones references don't stop here folks yeah that was when i, I first like that was when i i i killed I killed like my first lieutenant and turned him and I raised my first white. Uh-huh. 
Um, I was actually at your house with my wife and your wife, and we were watching the game. And that was like, I'd fallen in love in 2012. 2015 was like, it was like a year of, of just kind of recession almost for me. But it was a moment for me to be like, is it always going to be like this? Is, is this what they've always said? That it's like being a Georgia fan? You know, you're supposed to be good, and then it all goes to hell. Um, mm, sure. Then me. Mark Richt left. Yeah. And that, that's kind of, I, I had kind of retired to the idea and the thought that this was it and this is how it should be. And this is what I deserve. Um, and then Kirby Smart showed up in 2016. What is dead may never changed. die. That's very true. And that, that's where I was going. A very negative Justin was beginning to, to mm-hmm. develop there. Um, that was a rough game. That was a really, really mm-hmm. rough game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a rainy mess of a game. Mm. Uh, 2018. January of 2018, where were you? Uh, I was there for that one too. Yeah, I, that was rough. Um, I don't know. Is rough the right word? I don't know. It was it was strange because that was the it was the magical Cinderella season. This the season yeah. that never should have been. It just yeah. was. I mean, and it just happened. I, for honestly, for me, like that game was not necessarily. I mean, it sucked and it was horrible and it was like my whole life was a vacant hole for about three days. My whole life was just like staring into the abyss, like a Kafka novel. Um, mm-hmm. I just turned into a roach. And but on the same time, I don't know, man. Just like we were, I was so happy to be there. I didn't think we would go to a national. I before that game, I didn't actually think we'd go to a national championship in my lifetime. Yeah, it's not true. It's not. I mean, that wasn't probably like the right thing to think from like an objective pe- standpoint. But that was just how I felt. And so that was just making everything I thought so, like, it just made everything I thought so wrong. Yeah, everything was different at that point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so regardless of the outcome, it was hard to be that upset about it. We did, however, get, uh, we spawned some very good memes that that will stand to this day, such as Tyler Simmons was on sides. Yes. That's because he was. He was on sides. sides, And I will believe that till the day I die. Because I've seen the pictures. Full stop. I've seen it. There, uh, this isn't Zapruder film. Like we have, we have the we have the frame when of when yeah. of him being on sides. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's less than eleven months ago is when we were meeting Alabama last time in what would have been you know in the last few the the one thing that that most of these games really kind of ties them all together is like they were the national championship. There's an argument to be made that 2012 was also the national championship. Yeah, 2015 not so much. That was garbage. But <laughs> 2012 and 2018 to me. 2012 was the national championship. Yeah, I know. I absolutely whoever would agree. have gone to Notre Dame would have stomped the ever living hell out of them. And so here we are again, 11 months later, in the same building that we got hit by the truck. Uh, because that's exactly what I, I kind of liken it to is that it felt like getting hit by a truck because we were up, and then all of a sudden this new dude is out there running all over us, playing a game like it was a totally different team the moment Tua got out there. And so I can't describe the feelings I'm feeling now even though I've been sitting here thinking about them for weeks, knowing that this is what was coming. But I, I, I can't help but think, will this one be the one to remember forever? Um, and not because it, it, like not because we win it, but because whether we win or lose, I think this will be a memorable game. That's and it true. will be the fuel for a lot of things for a long time. I I, I don't know. My, my So before I put on my like robot hat, by which I mean before I peel off my fleshy, disgusting human skin mask. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, here's how I feel about it personally is that on the one hand, I am very much in one of the, I'm very much in the like seize the moment camp. Like, you know, um, Will Leach wrote an amazing piece about like, you know, Incredible. this Georgia team can win. 
we can win. And that is absolutely true. We definitely can win this game. And anyone being fatalist about this game is stupid. We can <laughs> definitely win this game. It is worth your time to watch it. It is not probably not going to be a blowout. And even if it is, that's just because Alabama is very, very good. It's not because we're not. My robot brain influences my emotions too much. And so it's not that I don't care about this game. I care about this game very deeply. But I feel like this game, win or lose, if we play this game close to me, what it'll be symbolic of is like the first harbinger of the sea change that's coming. Because one thing that I kind of hold true in terms of analysis is that time bats last. And there's there's a there's a clock on all of this for Alabama. And there's a clock on all of this for Georgia. But right now, we are in the position where Alabama is going to be forced and have a lot of pressure to make a perfect hire because Nick Saban is not doing this forever. And I'm not saying that it's gonna he's going to retire next year. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is <laughs> it's rare for people to Mike Stoops it and ride off into the sunset when they're good. That's all I'm saying. I would not – I just think that if we keep this game close – Everyone will talk about, but lose. Everyone will talk about, well, now Saban is 0-16 against his assistants. And that's going to be very true. But I suspect that when we watch this game on Saturday, it's going to be watching two very similar teams in terms of talent, in terms of body size, in terms of coaching, in terms of development, everything. And so when you, part of the thing that Saban's advantage is that has been is that he just has such a you know, decided programmatic advantage that he can win games that he shouldn't. And I think that this is going to be one of the first times where win or lose, that is not the case. And now before we actually start talking about stats, I would suggest to each and every one of you go and watch the 2019 SEC championship, Georgia versus Alabama hype video, prove them wrong. It's so good. Like pause this and go watch it. Yeah. Just search prove them wrong, UGA versus Alabama. And then, Keep something that's like hard but brittle near you so you can punch it a lot or like a punching bag or maybe like a pillow because it's going to make you just get like so hype. So and hype. And then when you, when you finish it, finish this episode and then go back and watch that video until Saturday at 4 p.m. Yeah. Yeah. Just over and over and over again. Yeah. And if you watch that video for more than four hours, please seek a doctor. Please, please, please. Go visit a doctor. You're like, go med. Yeah, like actually, ahead. you don't even have to visit them. They'll visit. Yeah, they you. can come to you. Yeah, it's <laughs> bring it back to house call, y'all. Yeah. Uh, hey, so I have a few subjective narratives. You have one too, actually. Let's let's hear yours first about the band, if you want to go into it. No, I do. I do. I do. I will never talk crap about another band. And the Alabama's Million Dollar Band—they're very good. They very well may be the best band in the SEC. They are very good. They're very clean. They play well, and they just—they're just. They're just an exemplar marching band for anyone in the country, especially for a collegiate band that does what we do. You know, there's different types of collegiate marching bands, but in terms of sec style marching bands, Alabama is about as good as it gets. They're very good. They have a very clear identity. They play very cleanly. They're very in tune. They're very balanced. Um, They just have a nice warm sound, but they, and this is probably not the band's fault. This is probably more of a, like uh, more of a athletic department thing. But in their opening game this year, they put they made a form that said second tw- second and twenty six on the field. And look, this isn't a reflection on the band because their band is so very good. It's more of a reflection on Alabama fans as a whole. But it's like, man, just uh, I've read enough Shakespearean tragedies to know where Hubris leads. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not making a prediction. I'm just telling you, I've I've read tragedies. I know what they look like. 
I just got distracted for a moment because I remember that Aaron Murray's going to be playing for the Atlanta Legends, and I'm really excited. Um, dude, I'm going to watch all those games if I can find them I online. love this. Uh, oh, oh, anyway. Do, do they have, like, a TV contract to, like, televise their games? I have no idea games? how any of it works. Yeah. And At times, know. it looks, like, really put together, and other times, it just looks like a real mess. So, I guess we'll see. <laughs> you want to give the people what they came here for? Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about stats. You want to talk about stats? I do want to talk about stats. So, um... I'm going to try very hard. <laughs> I'm going to try very hard to read some things a little bit slower today. We have had some requests for me to read things slower. So I'm a sarcastic person. So if I read, I'm not very good at speaking slowly. Uh, it tends to make me stutter a little bit sometimes. Um, so I'm going to try very, very hard to read a little bit more slowly. And I am not trying to be sarcastic because I'm, I just genuinely am not very good at it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to try to slow it down. So what do you want to start with? on our stats update let's start with the the the, the top order the s&p plus update yeah, for, uh, for bama so bama they are 12 and 0 their second order wins on the year are 12 and 0 which means that they should be a 12 and 0 team and it's round 12 and 0 which means they basically won it um looking pulling up their statistics page they're uh they're low they've had every single game has been 100 percent post game win ex- expectancy and their lowest adjusted scoring margin, which is what your scoring margin is when you just add stats to it, their lowest adjusted scoring margin was 26 points against Mississippi State, a game that they actually won 24 to nothing. So their lowest adjusted scoring margin was still higher than what the actual score of the game is, which is just wow. straight up disgusting. Looking through the rest of this, they are in the 99.4th percentile of S&P Plus, percent, um, of S&P Plus which means that... I, they're not quite a perfect team, but they're only 0.6 off. They're 30, they're, their S&P Plus margin is 30.4, which is to say they are about 30 points fe- uh, better on average on any given game against an average team. They're, uh, offensively, they are ranked second. Defensively, they are ranked sixth. Special teams, they are ranked 92nd, which is an interesting thing. They, they have been first the whole year. So they were they're yeah. one last week, and they're still one this week. You know, I think that sixth that sixth number on defensive S and P plus is actually a little even more interesting than their ninety um, second in special teams. But anyway, so going through their five factors comparison on offense, Bama is very, very, very good. Okay, so efficiency on offense, success rate they are first. Marginal efficiency they are second. ISPP plus they are second. Marginal explosiveness they are second. So in our top level. How well does this team move the ball on offense? Their lowest, our stats, their lowest ranking is second. Second. Yeah. Ugh. Field position, they are 23rd. That is probably a lot more reflective of their uh, as, of their special teams than it is of their actual offense. Finishing mm-hmm. drives, they are 7th at 5.433 points per scoring opportunity, meaning they are far more likely to score a touchdown than um, a to kick a field goal. They are second in expected turnover margin at plus 10, and they are ninth in actual turnover margin at plus 10. They're not really getting any... Basically, they haven't done anything they, that they would make you think balls. that they would turn over the ball, and then yeah. they also haven't gotten lucky or unlucky. They've just basically had... They've had negative uh, 1.2... Or no, they have 0.0 turnover luck per game. So like they are not getting... They are just this good. On defense, efficiency, success rate, they are first. Jesus Marginal efficiency, <laughs> they are second. God, Jesus Christ. Uh, ISO PPP plus, this is interesting. They are 76th in ISO PPP plus, which is the measure of basically points per play that you score on each play. Marginal explosiveness, they are 42nd. Average field position, they are 18th on defense. 
finishing drives, points per scoring opportunity, they are 25th. So this is not, you know, traditionally we're used to seeing a Bama team with these top line stats basically flipped for offense and defense. This mm-hmm. is a team that has been to some to some extent carried by its offense. Their defense has looked, if not mortal, they have not looked like an Alabama defense at points this year. Um, personality stats wise, uh, let's see. Standard down run rate, 107th in the nation. They throw the ball a lot. Pass down run rate, 94th in the nation. They throw the ball a lot. Um, adjusted pace, 84th in the nation. They're faster than UGA, but they're not fast. Uh, percentage of solo tackles, they are 96th in the nation. So, you know, th- this is a team that will throw it deep, but they tend to be, you know, they tend to play in a phone book, in a phone booth, which is to say that they're not trying to isolate people. They just are good at throwing it deep. Havoc rate allowed, they are fourth. Um, they have a very good offensive line. Uh, overall havoc rate on defense, second. Defensive line havoc rate, 37th. That's actually, I thought that, I thought that would be way higher having Quinn and Williams. LB Havoc rate, fourth. DB Havoc rate, ninth. Pass defense to interceptions, 15th. So, yeah, this is a very, 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 very good team. Let, before we get into anything else in terms of the stats worth highlighting, what, just just on those top-line numbers, what are you seeing that you think is interesting? So what I want to talk about is their defensive explosiveness. Really, uh, what we try to do when we're looking at these statistics is try to find where to focus on a team based off of their statistical profile yeah. and where the chink in the armor may lie. Yeah. And so it kind of allows us a sort of a path to of, of least resistance, essentially. But yeah. for Alabama, unfortunately, there's really not a lot that's exposed. But the one step we would definitely be most excited about would be that defensive ISO PPP, just because there is such a large margin when you take that and compare it to our offensive ISO PPP sitting right there at 10th. And so I'd say that that's definitely somewhere to start and just to kind of go down from. Uh, and you can learn a lot more from these teams, both on their footprints and kind of start to understand why those numbers are where they are. So what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with everything that you just said, but just to avoid being repetitive, I think it's going to be interesting to see. I think the, the finishing drives is going to be really interesting because they are very, very good at finishing tries and they tend to get touchdowns. And so part of that is to do with the fact that they are just so very, very good at offense. But I think some, I think some part of that is that they don't necessarily trust their field goal kicker, so they tend to just go for it. Um, by not necessarily like going for it on the fourth down, but more just like they tend to like if they have a choice between playing for the field goal and playing for the touchdown. If they feel better about their offense than their place kicker, which they do, they tend to go for the touchdown. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how finishing drives, how that stat looks on either side of this um, matchup. I think that'll be a really good indicator of how this game is going because. Georgia has had some very well publicized problems, publicized problems inside of the red zone. Um, a lot of which I think have to do with play calling and you know a little bit of execution more than they do with Georgia can't score in the red zone. I think that a little bit of that is just sort of um, I don't know facile. Um, but so I think that'll be a really good indicator going forward. I also think you know seventy six and ISO PPP plus in defense and forty second in marginal explosiveness. Uh, we are still 10th and 11th in those. Um, we are 10th and 11th in those stats, respectively, on offense. So, like, th- I know this is what you said already, but one thing I would fo- I would repeat and also focus in on is what that tells you is what UGA's game plan should be. We are going to try to run the ball, but we cannot win this game if we don't try. If we don't have some big plays in our play- game plan, this is yeah. you cannot beat. This is not really who Alabama is anymore because their offensive identity has changed. But Nick Saban has proved that he's pretty much solved the like quote unquote college pro offense. And mm-hmm. you cannot try to just run for three yards of carry on these guys. They're just too good. 
Yeah. You have to, to loosen the defense up. Even though their defense has showed a little bit more weakness than most Alabama defenses have in the past, their defense is just way, way, way too good to try to run for four yards of carry and just grind the game out. It's true. Yeah, it's all about taking more and more risks, I feel, and and trying to see what you get um, just through practice, Yeah, you know, doing it over and over and over again. Yeah. So do you have any more specific highlights, uh, stats you want to highlight? I have a couple, but uh, you know, do you have anything else uh, in terms of the if – we, if we look a little bit deeper into the numbers and we get into the statistical profiles, what, what are you looking at that you think is going to be impro- in, important? The, the explosiveness for sure, and I'm going to dive into it a little bit more. I think that it's a bit more telling when you start looking at the defensive footprint uh, as, as kind of like uh, – I use the footprint in comparison. Like I, I try to relate them to the two, the, the five factors and the, the footprints, of course. And so what I'm specifically looking at now is – all of the havoc rates, defensive line, linebacker, D, uh, DBs for Bama, mm-hmm. and trying to understand why the explosiveness defense is so average. It's so just blatantly average, mm-hmm. and it looks like that may be why. And it's because uh, they're they're blitzing, blitzing, blitzing. They're putting so much pressure on opposing teams that they just don't have a chance to react. They don't have a chance to execute plays. So instead of defending against plays, Bama is so good that they're just preventing any team from executing any plays is what it's looking like. Right. And so that's something we can definitely expect. So if we can get the ball off quick enough and our offensive line is doing their job well enough, I think that we will be fine to keep up with this Bama team throughout the day. So that's, that's kind of what, what we're going to, we're going to dive into a bit more and I'm going to get back into the numbers once we get through this, this initial outlook. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I agree. I also think there's a couple the, a couple of stats I would point out that I think are really Im- important is that uh, Bama is ranked uh, first in standard down success rate defensively, uh, which kind of just goes into what I said about trying to get big plays. You know, we're going to have to reverse that trend and keep the chain moving. And it also just means that our third down success rate is going to be very, very, very important. I would say anecdotally, it feels like a lot of people talk about how good we are on third down. and But actually, if you look at um, Georgia's third down rankings on offense they're actually quite good i said well yeah. but actually as though i was going to say they were bad but they're actually quite good so like our, <laughs> th- our third and long percentage is 17th so we're not getting in a lot of third and longs our third and short percentage is first so we're getting in a lot of third and shorts our third and long success rate is 20th and our third and medium success rate is seventh our third and short success rate is 62nd um which i think has to do mainly with the fact that we've had a lot of third and longs so we've been pretty good at converting third down so i think this is just going to be a time where like that number is going to be really really important and you know like jake from on the year that's kind of been his calling card he has 13.9 yards per completion and a 69.1 completion rate on the year but it's also interesting if you look deeper a little bit deeper in the stats he has a positive 14 percent marginal efficiency on the year that dude will just straight flat get you yards and when, and you, have, thing. when you only yeah. have five interceptions on the year, like that's what your profile is going to look like. But I think that's he's just really, really, really good at that. And that, that's something we, we do really well. We have, you know, the, the stable of running backs that will get us eight or nine yards. And then Jake Fromm, instead of running for the short one or two, just for that first down, he's going to air it out and get, you know, 11 to 15 yards. And that's kind of what we're looking at. So and, and that's something that we can get into. Bama is not that great at defending. But it could just be because they're not in it very often. <laughs> Well, I mean, yes, but also, I mean, I think that, and I haven't done enough film study on this, honestly, but what I've watched and what I've also read from people that I think know way more about this than me is Mm -hmm. that Bama's linebackers, you can get them in bad angles if you can get them moving front to back. If you can threaten them with a passing attack, you can get their linebackers to take bad angles. So, 
you know, if we can open the passing attack, uh, attack up, and I know that this, this is a word I hate, but if we can be balanced, not in the sense of calling the same amount of run plays as pass plays, but in the sense of like having success at both, then I think we can have success on third down as well. That makes sense. Definitely. And kind of looking at, um, there's another, there's another statistic that we don't use very often. It's, it's the backed up statistic. And I like this one, just backed up success rate and backed up turnover rate are the two rates that they, they kind of mess with this with. And, um, on defense, when, when Alabama is backed up and they're in a situation where they have to move they essentially have to act more aggressively. They're 55th and 44th with success rate and turnover rate being backed up um, respectively. So that kind of talks to what you're talking about, not entirely, but a little bit. Yeah, no, no, it does. I mean, and so, I mean, I would say that really the thing is, if you look at Alabama's statistical profile for the year, I think the overall takeaway you can get is that they are not what you would consider to be a traditional Alabama defense in the sense that they're only like the sixth ranked instead of unequivocally the best defense in the nation. Yeah. Right. And and there are some places where they are not great. Like uh average third down distance, they're sixty eighth. They have been giving up they've been even though they're very they're very in a very efficient defense, they have been giving up a lot of third down third and shorts, right? Um they're forty third in passing marginal explosiveness. They're fortieth in pass down lines yards per carry. Right? They're giving up two point four five line yards per carry on pass downs. They're giving up a way better number on line yards per carry on standard downs, but still, I mean just like those kind of sort of like beneath the numbers marginal stats those do add up to to suggest that this team i wouldn't say that you can get them on defense but to suggest that we can score some points on them and i think that this is the kind of game where we're going to have to score 30 to beat alabama this is a game where i you know and we'll get into the predictions later but i think the uh the the over under for this game total points right now is 63 and a half so this will definitely be a game that's going to be high scoring uh, because both of these offenses are just incredibly efficient, like ruthlessly explosive, and it's going to be incredibly important. It's going to be whoever ends up outscoring faster, but I definitely believe it'll end up being decided by whichever of these two teams is able to get two major stops on the day, just two really big ones, and that's who's going to win this game. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think I think this could be a game where it feels like a defensive slugfest for the most point in terms of just some very good very good plays being made on defense. But I think that these two offenses are just so efficient, so explosive that it's going to be one of those games where you're like, oh yeah, the defense get like the winning team is going to say, oh yeah, the defense played well, but still gave up 25 points. Where yeah. you yeah. know, and so that that's just what it feels like to me. You got anything else like getting into like the the dark dark stats before we talk more about like what we want to see here? So diving back into the ISO PPP, I, I've been talking about how the the explosiveness for this this Alabama defense is is like their huge weakness. But the one thing I haven't talked about is how our that's the the, the real bright spot in our defense. We have the number one ranked explosive defense, uh, number one ranked when it comes to explosive uh, marginal explosiveness as well in defense. So uh, the Alabama offense is second on both of those which we mentioned at the very beginning when we were kind of laying all these stats out but what that's not telling of is the actual point value of each of these things so if you go down go with me now to the explosiveness stat for uga it's 0.91 on defense we're allowing 0.91 points when it comes to explosive plays as opposed to uh that 1.44 from bama it's just a huge huge margin between those two so i think that'll definitely come into play yeah i mean explosiveness is how many points you 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 score per plays when you sort out plays where you're not trying to score and so basically it's like if you score seven points and one play you scored seven points 
per play on that drive. So you just divide that out and you get up I you get you get to ISO PPP plus. So like when you're saying like when you say that Alabama is allowing 1.94 ISO PPP plus, what that means is that they are on an average play they're giving up 1.94 points on the game. Yeah. Okay. And so that just means that they're giving up a lot of big chunk plays. Marginal explosiveness on the other hand has to do with situationally how are they giving up uh, what are they giving up? And I think it's interesting that their marginal explosiveness number is also low because that would indicate not only are they giving up big plays, they're also giving up big plays at inopportune times, right? It kind of makes sense to give up a big play on third and eight because that's a passing down. If you're giving up a big play in a situation where it doesn't seem like you should or where the numbers say you shouldn't, like when the other team is way backed up or you give up a big play on second and five out of the middle of nowhere, that's where that's where that affects your marginal explosiveness. So the fact mm-hmm. that both of those are just average tells me that I feel like we can get some big plays on these guys. But that that actual margin between UGA's defense uh, in regards to explosiveness and Bama's offensive explosiveness, is that margin important at all? Like the 0.91 against their 1.44? Yeah, what, yeah, What does yeah. that actually look like in practice is what I'm looking for. I mean, it means that on average we're giving up about – we're giving up about 0.5 points less per play than they are scoring per play. If that makes sense. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly, so so yeah. you, if you take out the relative ranking, we're still better at defending the, the, the explosive play than they are at making the explosive play. Now that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean anything. It does mean something for this game in the, in, in the more macro sense, which is to say that, you know, I think people, they get a little bit of sticker shock, but if you just took the raw numbers and you looked at them, you would say, Hey, you know, this Alabama, if you said Alabama's team A and Georgia's team B, and you took the numbers off and you looked at this and you looked at the raw numbers, you would probably say, well, you know, team A has a lot of advantages and they're probably going to win. However, they are not as good at generating, even though they're very good at generating explosive plays in, in a non-relative sense, right? Just on their own. They're mm-hmm. also not as good at, at generating explosive plays as team B is at preventing them. Yeah, the only other thing I want to point out, and I think this is just, it's just worth sort of like keeping an eye on. I'm not trying to make any statement about it because a bunch of things have to happen for these stats to matter. But what I would say is, and this is very important, is uh, Alabama's field goal of value per kick is 94th in the nation. Their punt efficiency is 105th in the nation. Their punt return efficiency is 67th in the nation. They are pretty good at kickoff efficiency at 28th in the nation and pretty good at kick return efficiency and at first in the nation. However, if we want to compare a couple of those stats and the ones that I think really matter are field goal value per kick and punt return efficiency versus their uh, punt efficiency, if we want to if we want to compare a couple of those, right? So Georgia, on the other hand, our punt return efficiency is currently our punt, our punt return efficiency is currently eighth compared to their punt efficiency of 110th. Our field goal value per kick is 13th compared to theirs at 94th, right? Our kick, our, our kick efficiency, our kickoff efficiency is 15th, which means that we may be able to somewhat neutralize their first ranked um, kick return efficiency. I guess what I'm saying is if we can make this is a game that is close enough where special teams matter, we'll have an advantage. But that's sort of an if-then proposition in the sense that for that to happen, we have to contain Tua. And I'm, I can't tell you like positively that, that that is going to happen. But if this feels like a really tight game where everyone's just like, man, we just need to spring one big play and we might have an advantage here, then, then that might start to matter. 
if we get to that point, then I would start thinking about this. Like, are we going to put this on someone's leg? Are we going to put this on a return? Because if we do, UGA has been very good at that this year, and Bama has not. All right. I, I really want this game to be hero hot run. Yeah, I mean, everybody does. Yeah, oh, yeah. He can throw, Before we he, get into, he can throw a ball ahead. over them, them, their mountains. We all know that. <laughs> I've seen it. You I've can't seen tell it. me otherwise. Sainthood. Until Sainthood. I see otherwise. Sainthood. Sainthood. By God. Saint Hot Rod. Yeah. He Have had, you said your hail rods? He had a, he had legs as big as a cypress trunk. I seen him. Yeah, I seen the dang legs. His quads have quads. Yeah, yeah. All right. So before we get into what we want to see, what do we got? Halftime. Our halftime boys over at GoMed. They're here to talk about medicine. Yeah. <laughs> so in our last episode, we talked a little bit about you know Barrett came to us, Barrett. Big muscly boy with his his handsome family. Uh, he came to us and he said, "Hey, my co-partners, you know, all the folks that are, are running this whole good bed business with me are, are are getting real jealous about you just talking about me and how great I am." And we were like, "Well, Barrett, stop being so great." That's not really what happened, as you can probably into it. But they have requested that we begin talking to you about the other folks out there because one of the things that we have all kind of talked about with. Um, you know, the hospital visits and doctor's visits, it's just not fun. It's uncomfortable. And uh, one of the ways to help alleviate some of that pressure and that that uncomfortable uh, general malaise, rather, is to get to know your doctors a bit. And so that's exactly what we're doing. We're talking about the next doctor, the next fella over at GoMed. So our first doctor, second doctor, rather, is Dr. Chris Edens, who was born in Virginia, moved to Georgia in 1974, went to UGA, he was there until he went to the Mercer School of Medicine. We'll forgive you. Uh, but after school, he did end up in emergency medicine residency over at Emory. So he's just been a Georgia boy since he left Virginia. He decided he was never going to go back because Georgia's clearly better. Uh, he trained at Emory. He went to Grady, Emory Midtown Hospital, Eggleston Children's Hospital, and Hughes Spalding Children's Hospital. Generally, just like every hospital, apparently, he just went hospital to hospital. Everyone, like, everyone in the world. Yeah, every single hospital, like the feudal states, they fell to Dr. Eden's foot, just underneath his boot, his medicinal boot. Uh, <laughs> that's a dumb metaphor. He has served as a medical director for several hospitals around Georgia, and he now is on the staff at Piedmont Healthcare. But he's also the track physician for Atlanta Motor Speedway and Road Atlanta. So he's, you know, when he's not doctoring, he's got a hobby. It's going fast. Track doctoring. Track doctor. It's, he's... <laughs> it's like doctoring, but really fast. <laughs> he's like how long how quick can i get this penicillin inside of you competitive speed doctrine with pretty damn fast you get measured by bedside manner and time <laughs> uh coming to you this summer on espn the ocho man i'd watch it oh yeah absolutely i'd watch the hell out of that but yeah that's uh, that's go med a little bit about go med they are of course they are bringing back the house call they are urgent care on the go and you can go check them out over at gomed.net they have locations all over atlanta they're also opening up maybe in the next couple days because they did say december the charleston locations in daniel island and mount pleasant and hopefully you know maybe they can come to a facility near you and by facility i mean just your house thing your yeah. house yeah i'm not sure That'd that they fine. will come to just like a random bend in the road but yeah if you got Maybe. a house i mean if you schedule a visit and it has like a, a location you can throw up on google maps maybe they'll show up yeah i don't know who knows try it uh, i don't want anybody to get sick so i don't want to wish that on you but hey just you know try it get your flu shot yeah call, call them out for your flu shot <laughs> yeah 
I really want Barrett to one day text me and say, like, hey, could you stop telling everybody to go get their flu shots with us? We're tired of driving out to everyone's houses and giving yeah. them flu shots. Oh, boy. Anyway, that's GoMed. GoMed.net. Go check them out. Things you want to see. Yeah, let's talk about it. So, I... So I I kind of treat this as I tr- I I know we kind of treat this differently. I I treat these things as things I want to see because I think if we see them we'll see a good day from us. Mm-hmm. Or alternatively like if you're looking for some signposts. If you're walking watching the game and you're like, "Well, I can see the score, but I don't know how things are going and I can't look at a stat sheet." I yeah, would yeah. say that these are the sort of things you want to look at in particular. So, first I think uh it, things are going for well for Georgia if Lamont Galliard has a good day. Uh, Quinnen oh, Williams yeah. is probably the most explosive defensive tackle in college football right now, especially since Ed Oliver is not playing. Um, and he has—he is the second in—he leads—he's second on the team in tackles. He has like a bajillion run stuffs. I think it's—it's it's generally at over like forty right now. He has um, five or six tackles for loss. I mean, he's just such a good player. And he is going to be right. A lot of the time, he's going to be lining up on a zero technique against Lamont Galliard. If Galliard just can make him a very good or above average player, as opposed to a a offense destroying beast, we will be having a good day. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think we'll be having a good day if we see extended playing time from Monty Rice. I don't think he's going to start or at all. Well, yeah, see, he was on crutches last weekend, right? Yeah, he was on crutches last weekend, and then the. The report, the injury report came out and he was on it, but also like he was maybe also playing a little bit and I just don't really trust. I mean, this is the NFL. This is in the NFL. Those injury reports are kind of BS in some level. So I just don't really trust that he's not going to play. And I think if he does play, we'll be in good shape. However, I will also say that we, it seemed like Nate Patrick did a pretty good job of getting downhill. And so if we can just have either Tay Crowder or Jawan Taylor having a good day in coverage, we should be okay. But if we can get Monty Rice back, I will feel a lot better. Um, finally, I think three line yards per carry. You won't be able to see this during the game. But I think what that's more reflective of is if we are able to get, if not easy, but consistent yards on the ground, even if we don't run it 50 times in this game, which uh, had heads up, we should not, but even mm-hmm. if we don't do that, if we're able to get consistently get three yards a carry, we're this put it puts us in a good place because a lot of teams have not gotten three yards a carry against them. And the one time where we the one time where we lost this year, it, part of it was because we abandoned the run, and I think we abandoned the run because we thought we couldn't run. And I also think we abandoned the run because Jim Cheney had just like a stroke or something. But um, if we are going to win this game, we cannot be forced to abandon the run. And that's reductive, I understand. But I, you know, specifically, I think, I mean by that, we cannot be put in a position where the run running at all seems to be fruitless. I was just looking at the injury report real quick, and Monty Rice is not on it any longer. Yeah. But his overall involvement is still very questionable, obviously. Yeah. He did go to practice on Tuesday, but it was very, very limited. Uh, Cade Mays is still very questionable as well, so... Uh, he has a stinger in the shoulder and it's causing a lot of loss of strength. So I hope he feels better because if that goes away, then he's, he's in. All right. So what do you want to see? Well, what are you things you want to see, man? You got a lot of like scenarios and weirdness ready. This is, yeah. This has been, everyone knows that gif of like Zach Galifianakis from the hangover when all the math is swirling around his head. Yeah. That's what I was like today. So, I, and there's, there's a ton of articles out there, but it's really fun to kind of just speculate. 
things I want to see. This is like following the game. What happens, you know, what are the stipulations tied to this game? Like what kind of goes on if Georgia wins or loses and other teams win or lose? So you're right in saying that we both definitely look at this section a little bit differently um, because I am always looking at the next thing, whereas you are, uh, you keep chopping. Yeah. Um, you're much more in the in the now, which is which is good. We we complement each other. We're balanced. Uh, so everyone's talking about scenarios and outcomes. So I'll start with the first one. Georgia wins. Georgia wins. I believe we have a good chance of um, hopping into that number three spot and having uh, Bama come down to four. There's also a chance we jump Notre Dame. You know, so we'll kind of see how that goes. And if Oklahoma and Ohio State both win, I think they're still out. Uh, with Bama still winning because they're they're still further back down and they're they're not playing really anybody in their championships. I, I think there's a chance that if we do win this game, Bama gets to four. Uh, we might play them again in the semifinals. I think if they lose this game, Bama goes to four, and we are either yeah. second or third, and we play Notre Dame in Dallas. And then we yeah, and then we see them again in the finals. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was trying to get to. Is that yeah, we we play we probably play Notre Dame in the the semifinals, and then we probably play Bama. Uh, in the finals or Clemson because I, I have said before on the show that I do believe that Clemson has what they what they need to beat Alabama uh, which is to say a whole bunch of offense uh, the second piece is if Georgia loses I have a few different loses um, solutions so if Georgia loses Clemson Ohio State and Oklahoma win so Notre Dame probably still goes but I still think there's a good chance that we see Oklahoma or OSU in the playoffs just based off championship wins and Bama coming out I agree this is the, the the second piece of that scenario is, you know, there's a world in which Notre Dame doesn't go to the playoffs. And so it'd be kind of weird. I think it's it's going to be really hard-pressed for this committee to do it. Yeah, I think Notre Dame's pretty locked. No, no, no. There's got to be some weird stuff that happens to for Notre Dame not to make it, I feel. Or just, like, the them having, like, an effing, like, having unless they have, like, a vendetta against, um, whatchamacallit, against Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Yeah, which I don't think they do. So this is actually my favorite scenario, is if Georgia loses, Oklahoma State and Ohio State lose, Georgia still has a chance of popping into the number four spot. So it'd be Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Georgia in the top four spots. I think there is still an argument to be made that Texas could get in if they beat Oklahoma. Oh, really? Uh, I think I, that I there's, a, there's a small chance that they pop up there. Dude, I don't think that's true. They got two losses I think it's, already. It's real slim. I think we would go in over them easily. Like no questions asked. Oh, for sure. This is this is me saying Georgia still hops in. They, yeah. they hop into the number four spot, but I, I still think there's a chance that one of those teams could pop into. I don't think. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. I think there's a much less lesser chance for for that happening in that that situation. Like just because I don't think that Pitt's going to beat, or not not at Pitt. Uh, I don't think the Northwest is going to beat Ohio State, and I don't think that um, Texas is going to beat Oklahoma. But we'll see. Texas has been playing with their uh, their hair on fire all all season, so but they've also lost some pretty dumb games. <laughs> Those are kind of the things that I want to see, and I also just want to I, I I want this to be a fun game. I don't want to get so invested that if we lose, it upsets me. We'll move into our over unders now. You gonna start us off? Yep, let's do it. All right, first over under for you, over under three point five two ATDs, both passing and rushing combined. I think, uh, that's tough to say. I th- I think it might be. Uh, I don't want to say over. I think it's over. I think he gets four TDs on the day. Yeah, I hate to agree, but I'm going to say also over. My first one comes with over under 200 UGA rushing yards. Over. Book it. Hell yeah. I'm over too. Over under 0.5 Tua interceptions. I think it's under. Over. We're yeah. going gonna to pick him off. Dre. Dre's going to get him. I believe in D-Bake, and he is, <laughs> my, he is my dad, even though apparently that's contentious 
Eh, he could be my dad. Anyway, uh, I actually have one that goes straight, uh, that directly correlates with yours, is uh, my DeAndre Baker 0.5 interceptions. I mean, over. Over a, th- yeah. a thousand times over. You think so? So this is, I, I think that DeAndre Baker is going to be sitting on Judy all day, right? Do you think he's sense. just not going to get a pick because they just don't throw his way? I don't think they're going to throw his way. I think that if anything happens, like if Judy breaks Baker, it's going to be because he found a good angle and he got away. But that's a very strange thing to think and say out loud because DeAndre Baker hasn't really done that all year. I don't think he's gotten beat. I can't think of a time where he's gotten beat like that where I can say, man, I really wish he would have been on that guy. But I think that if anybody could do it, it is probably Judy. And I only think the two is going to throw to Judy if he has like the best angle possible or he just totally beats him or something totally like yeah he gets scraped off yeah so i I think there's a lot of scenarios where it definitely could happen i definitely want it to happen uh i'm gonna say under for the sake of being different but that's kind of what i'm thinking okay um over under 250 passing yards for jake Fromm. i think it's under as well i think we're gonna keep it on the ground a lot more tonight nah over man think so throw it all over the field yeah i think it's gonna be i think it's gonna be jake Fromm just like big dicking on people I think, I think, I think that people who look deep into this stat see that this Alabama defense is very, very good, but not as good as it's been in the past. And uh-huh. I don't think that other people really understand what that means, right? I think, I think we're going to have some success on them. Yeah, we're going to show that that King Xerxes does indeed bleed. Yeah, even if we lose, we're going to bleed them. Yeah, yeah. Over under hot rod two and a half field goals. Over, unfortunately. Yeah. I just think we're going to get stalled out. Two and, a half, two and a half, two and a half, two and a half. I'm going to say under that. You're going to say under? Yeah, I'm going to cool, say under. Cool, because I'm going to say over. Oh, you, you <laughs> goaded me into it, you <laughs> asshole. Ah, I gotcha. Yeah, I was thinking, I think you might have three on the day, and I really hope that it is in that case, but I think that this Alabama defense in the first half at, at least is going to be making a whole bunch of stops, and I'm hoping that we're keeping up alongside them. Mm-hmm. So very last portion will be our predictions, of course, getting into the predictions. So... Vegas odds. This has been, there were so many articles that I saw with the title, you know, Bama comes out as two point uh, favorite in this, this SEC championship game, you know, this and that, like everyone thinks this is going to either be a blowout. They're going to win by two scores or they don't know what to think at this point. And so S and P plus, however, has given it a 3.5 point margin. And here on this podcast, we believe in stats, God, Bill Connolly. And that is a much better point margin for me in order to believe that this that we have a any sort of chance to win this game. I will say that S&P Plus also gives Alabama only a 57% chance to win, so pretty close to a coin toss with uh with that one. So, do you want to paint us a, a word picture with your your prediction there? Man, it hurts me to say what I'm about to say. I just think I think our defense is going to play better than we think, and I think we're going to score points on them. I don't think this is going to be a blowout either way. I think it's going to be a tight game where they are ahead most of the game, and I think they win it on a big on a on they win it on a big play. That's what I see happening. They just have so many weapons, and I just don't know what I feel about like their slot receiver matching up against like Tyreek McGee, who I love, but is not the kind of slot corner that you want to have on their receivers. So I'm going to say Alabama 38, UGA 31. Hold your heads high if that happens. If, if I'm right and it's that kind of game, we should not be embarrassed. And we still might go to the college football playoffs, so I would not be that worried about it. So I've been trying to figure out if I should be relentlessly positive or should I go with my stats brain? Probably my stats brain, right? I mean, you look, go where the spirit calls you to go. That's I've never <laughs> changed. That's, that's always been how I think. 
So uh, a score that stuck out of my brain was a game where Tua does a lot of running all over us. He runs like all over the dang place. He throws it out a bunch early in the game. A lot of it just misses. Uh, Really great coverage from UGA secondary. They keep trying to hammer it up the middle. They keep trying to run the ball. Uh, they they get their points in the beginning. It's a really close game going into half. I'm thinking like 14-17 with, uh-huh. uh, with, with Georgia maybe even being on top of the half. Uh, and that, that just comes in the form of Bama getting a stop and Hot Rod coming out and like cocking his leg of a gun and, and shooting the ball through the uprights. But then in the second half, as these teams tend to be, they are second half teams very much so. And not because they play a bad first half, but because... They make a lot of, they're, they're very good adjustment adjustments in the locker room. I think that, that Bama comes out third quarter, still pretty close, but then fourth quarter might come away from us. And we, people start getting tired and, you know, Bama's depth really shows through in the fourth quarter and they're able to continue to rotate defense over and over and over and over again. And to me, it looks like it could be Bama 42, Georgia 34. All right. I hate that, man. Ugh. I'm at Took peace. A lot I'm me. at peace with it. You can't kill me. The actuary <laughs> tables say all it live you, Nick Saban, and I love you to death. But I'm just gonna stick it out and wait until you die. So let's get into our very favorite segment. It's Ask CBC. Yeah. Wow. We have a lot of Ask CBCs. We're gonna have to do these yeah, quick. We sure do. So the very first one comes from Collateral Banshee at Banshee Radio. Can the Javon paradox be used to describe how we will always have to play the better Bama team? Well, I think he means the Javon's paradox. It was a paradox about how. No, it's uh, Javon. No, it, it's no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that's not what it is. It's a it's an environmental <laughs> paradox where when the when the exploitation of a resource becomes more efficient, um, it also the like when we when technology makes it so that we can more efficiently harvest a resource or use it more efficiently, which is to say we use it less per each time we use it, then there is a paradox. There is a theoretical paradox where when that happens, demand goes up. Now, we haven't seen that a lot in the real world, but I don't want to talk about environmental paradoxes. But anyway, I would say what that applies. I don't know how how we will always have to play the better Bama team. I think that applies to how it's like uh, you shouldn't always get what you ask for. That that's kind of a stretch, but if it's the Javon paradox, which is to say the team with the better Javon wins, uh, you see what I'm saying? That doesn't I really doesn't really fit though because we had Javon wins. All right. <laughs> At Hannah G. Schaefer asks, what margin can Georgia lose by in the SEC championship to still be attractive to the CFP committee to keep in the fold? How do you think they can defend keeping Notre Dame uh, other than an undefeated season? Okay. Uh, I think they can defend it because Notre Dame has like a. Notre Dame has a like good helmet sticker schedule, which is to say, even though a lot of the quote unquote good teams they played were not that good, they they beat some teams that have a lot of col- uh, cultural cachet. And I would say if we keep it within ten, we probably got a we've got a decent chance. Yeah, in the off season, John Powell. I know it's too late, but I had a question. What do you guys think about Tyson Campbell as a safety? I missed this in the last game, but Rivals posted about it in their PFF grades. I don't know. I mean, yeah, but I feel like his his problem is just technique. Like he gets there, he gets the ball, he can run with anybody, he's tall enough to run with anybody. He just needs to learn how to play the ball. You need to be able to play the ball if you're going to be a safety A and B. That's teachable and I just want the guy who can run with everyone to be my cornerback. Even if he's yeah, not yeah. A, he's not our top cornerback right now, I feel like he's got a better future at cornerback long term. And he adds, also, Isaac Nauda on paper seems to be the best mismatch against their D. Over-under targets for him, I'm guessing over six. Over-under six? Ooh. I definitely think Isaac Nauda is going to be a 
big component yeah, of this offense. Yeah, I'm going to say over six. I think he could yeah. have – Alabama did this a couple of years ago with the tight end where they hadn't targeted him all damn year, and then suddenly they targeted him like 10 times in the national championship. I think we might do that. Well, we've been targeting Isaac now to a lot, especially Lately, in two-minute yeah, two-minute drills. Yeah, yeah. He, he might get six in two-minute drills alone. Uh, not that kind of doctor at Mickey McHale for your Alabama episode. I'm curious to get your thoughts on nationwide Alabama fatigue and on their well-earned and well-deserved reputation, getting them more relative credit among other playoff level teams. And the ads also hashtag Tyler Simmons was on sides. Well, Tyler Simmons was on side. A. That's correct. Second yes. kill. This is kale self. Who is my, uh, former UGA Redcoat Sousaphone tech. So what up kale? Yeah. So uh, Alabama fatigue is a real thing. And I think the problem is what you said with well-earned and well-deserved. They get more relative credit than they should, but they're also the best team in the nation. And that's like a weird paradox. I think it's a weird paradox for even me to try to digest. But And I'm someone who's used to, uh, very obviously used to thinking about paradoxes. But I think especially <laughs> for people who are making decisions in college football playoffs, it's really tough to balance that. Because like simultaneously, they are as good as they seem, but also everyone has fatigue on them. And then also they do get too much credit. So it's really hard to talk about them in like a balanced matter. You know what I'm saying? Because it's you can't just say like, "Oh, Alabama's all—they're all just flash, no substance." Because they're not, obviously. No. They probably do get more credit when it comes to like subject, subjective decisions, like the CFP playoff. But simultaneously, they're almost certainly the best team in the nation. So it's hard to say like, "Well, they got more credit than they should have," but also they're the best team. You know what I mean? I think those teams do exist, the ones that get more credit than they should have, but I don't I don't believe Alabama is one of those. My Alabama fatigue is definitely strong, however, and I'm tired of seeing them win every single dang year. Brody Marino, what work of literature best represents Auburn's love-hate relationship with Gus Malays is what they threw out there. I think he means Gus Malone. Um, yeah, I've, like got, I've, got, I've got two for you. First, The Taming of the Shrew, where it's like Petruchio and Kate they kind of hate each other but they love each other and it's really clear subtextually that the sex is great but simultaneously it's like oh maybe there's some consent issues in there and like one person really doesn't want to be in the relationship and one person does so yeah also i would say othello with iago and othello where it's like uh iago says they hate othello auburn says they hate gus but oh they just they want to hate him so much and whisper into his ear and kiss his cheeks you know what i mean but and so at what Uh point does is that hate (laughs) Abby Keys asks, uh, what has been your favorite play this season? I, I honest to God think my favorite play might be that deep Malcolm, uh, the McCole Hardman touchdown against uh, Georgia Tech. Just because, he, I mean, we've thrown that play a lot this year, but just the just like how perfectly in stride he hit Mikol was just really beautiful. It was really beautiful. Yeah, I, I will say uh, any play where Tyler Simmons scores, that just always excites me when Tyler Simmons scores and you're like, hey, who's that guy? You're like, oh. Yeah. So proud of him. Yeah. <laughs> Just the the folks that aren't the usual suspects is typically what I like to think. West Coast Mark, can we expect a tale of two halves match? How much of a factor do you expect from the backside pursuit that stopped a lot of the running between the tackles against LSU? I'm looking forward to a fast starting UGA on both sides of the ball and hoping to hang on for halftime adjustments. Um, I don't think the backside pursuit stuff is going to be that much of a factor because we just didn't run enough for it. I mean, it was a factor, and it's why we stopped. But I think if we could, you can run through that, and you can scheme around backside pursuit stuff. I expect we can expect a tail two halves match one way or the other, just because these two coaching staffs are really, 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 really good. So one of them's gonna adjust. And finally, our final segment for the night: the Dr. James Bayerfield Troll Corner, presented by Cheerwine, the wine that gives you diabetes. TM, 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 TM. So his first question came. And it was, are we the Mighty Ducks 
And is Bama the Iceland team for Mighty Ducks 2? Do you think it will end the same way as that inspiring movie? And have you seen the Mighty Ducks? Yes. I have not seen it since I was like maybe eight at this point. So I actually brought in some outside help. My good friend, Jeremiah Purinton, who is a tattoo artist here in Athens, Georgia at Pain and Wonder. He also is one of the co-hosts for the Fan Footage Podcast. He, I, I sent him this message and just said, hey, let me know real quick. And he like spout back in a minute. And this is not somebody who is typically very good at responding to texts, but he was like ready to fire this off, like right off the bat. So I will now read Jeremiah's take on this question. I sent him the question and he answered right back. So he said, and I'll try to say it without any uh, mistakes because I think he got so excited that he just fired off everything in his brain as quickly as possible. And there there might be some typos in here, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to decipher and translate for him as well. So he says, uh, oh, nah, I think our Bama would be like the Hawks from the first movie. Iceland were... Iceland was the national team that played against Team USA, he put in quotes, in the Goodwill games. They didn't become the Mighty Ducks again until the end of the movie. But the Ducks defeating the Hawks in the first movie was pretty inspiring. The Ducks were a District 5 team that couldn't play, skate, or organize at all, but they had a lot of heart and will. And then he said Bombay took them from being the worst team ever to defeating the all-team champs, all-time champs, the Hawks. I, I hate to see like a broken record, but I disagree with Jeremiah. I think this is way more like Mighty Ducks 2 because like at the beginning of Mighty Ducks 2, the, the USA team, they're good already. And we yeah, were already yeah. good when he came in. And then on top of that, there's a weird incestuous relationship between the two coaching staffs of Alabama and Georgia in the same mm-hmm. way that Gordon Bombay hooked up with like the pretty blonde girl from Iceland. Yeah. I, I'll give you that. That makes sense. I haven't seen Mighty Ducks 2. I've only seen the first one, so... Oh, I'll let you I'm, go away with that one. I'm so, I'm so ready for this next question. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, how would you equate the ethical paradox if tyrannicide... Of tyrannicide. Of tyrannicide excuse me. Uh, to the Bama game. Tyrannicide is the idea that you can't kill a tyrant without becoming a tyrant yourself, in short. That's not uh, totally what it is, but that's what it is in short. So how do I... I mean, how I equate it is, like, that's fine. I've got no... When it comes... I'm a very democratic person, small d democratic person when it comes to politics. But when it comes to football, I want to be the bad guy. Let's go. Somebody's <laughs> got to be Russia. I want to be... I don't want to be Rocky. That's stupid. I want to be Ivan Drago. Shoot me up with uh-huh. those Russian steroids. Let's do this. You want to be the Iceland team. Yeah, I want to be the Iceland team. I want to be the Hawks. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes when you stare into the abyss, you become a monster too. And that's why I've been staring into abyss, the abyss this long. Let's go. <laughs> uh, next question. It's a repeat, but whatevs. What are the biggest player-to-player matchups on both sides of the ball? Lamont Gallard and Quinnen Williams. And mine is Judy and Baker. Yeah. For sure. Uh, if you had to equate this game to one Shakespeare play, what would it be and why? Macbeth. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes to kill the king... You can't find him on a t- on a field. You got to get him drunk, sneak into his play, sneak into his uh, tent at night, and stab him to death through a pillow. <laughs> and yeah, it might not work. <laughs> it might blow up in your face spectacularly. But hey, man, we're more than halfway through this wake of lake of blood, so we might as well just walk on through this. <laughs> I think the uh, last year we got a bad review, and it was because you started talking about Macbeth as well. Hey, I want to say, I want to say, I made some (laughs) veiled shots. I made some veiled shots at people taking shots of us politically on this podcast, but I really don't Uh care. If you're going to come at me about Macbeth, you best come correct. I don't want, I don't want your download if you don't like Macbeth. You heard it here first, folks. The only thing really is that we need your stories. And so uh, one of the off-season things we are going to be doing is hearing from you. We would like to invite you or anyone that you know that has an awesome, awesome story related to Georgia, UGA football, Athens at large, any of those things. We want you on the show so we can talk to you about it and get that story because that'll be 
a lot of what our off seasons might look like, in addition to a lot of evergreen episodes talking about just stats and how they relate to the game and how they can teach you a bigger picture. Kind of like, you know, back in the day when you just listened to games on the radio? Yeah. We're going to teach you how to how to break games down just by looking at numbers. Yeah, Claudius Monsonius talking to you, buddy. Just yeah, like Neo from the freaking Matrix. Tell me, Claudius, just go ahead and tell me when you're going to be in town in the spring semester. We'll make it happen. Anywhere, yep, yep, anywhere yep. pretty much after February. After signing day, just just let me know. If you're going to be in Athens, we'll sit down and we'll spend a long time working on this, bud. I know yep. I've read your work. I know you want to do that. All right. Um, <laughs> this has been Chapel Bell Curve. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on social media at Chapel Bell Curve at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to contact us by email, you can contact us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com. Or you can find us online elsewhere at chapelbellcurve.com, our official site, which kind of aggregates everything we do. And also on patreon.com slash chapelbellcurve. If you would like to throw us a couple of bucks there, you'll get a little bit of extra content every week. And then a lot of extra content when we put together all the stupid rants that we do but have to cut out. If you like that one right there. If you enjoyed today's episode and you haven't, please leave us a rating and review. It very much helps us uh, boost our exposure. And let's be honest, you want more people to be infected by our very, very robotic, heartless brains. So <laughs> we will catch you in the bins uh, this weekend, or I will. And until yeah, yeah, then, yeah. go, go dogs. dogs. <laughs>